Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. On this morning's show, I want to do kind of an overview of the so-called right way to be a sports parent. And, you know, thinking about this, it all starts with what's known as daddy ball. Now, that might sound terribly obvious to many of you, but I continue to get so many emails and calls and and tweets about what is appropriate parental behavior and what's the right kind of parental expectations we should have for our little kids as they start out in sports. And again, we've heard this term for a number of years now, daddy ball, and it encompasses a lot of different types of uh, angles and, and insights and behaviors when it comes to Uh, parents, and how they handle, how they treat their kids and other kids when it comes to playing youth sports. Now, again, the term is, let's face it, it tends to be, it is focused on daddy, but obviously I'm sure there are some moms who are in the mix as well, but it's a generic term, meaning that parents who don't seem to understand the right priorities when it comes to working with, with youngsters. And the concerns, you know, they focus on, well, I hate to use this term again, but a sense of entitlement when it comes to, let's say, volunteering to coach at the youth level in elementary school uh, or working with kids of of different ages and different abilities. Uh, Too often, the dad uh, who runs the team is very, very nice, and he seems, at least at first, to want the very best for all the kids on the squad. But we know as the games begin to play out, you sometimes, watching from the stands or the sidelines, you get the sense that the coach is unfortunately more focused on winning the games than making sure that every youngster plays the same amount of time or that all the kids rotate through all the various positions on the field uh, or uh, that the coach, that his kid ends up being the team captain or makes the all-star team and so on and so forth. This is the world of daddy ball where the parent, the dad, who serves as the head coach, sometimes feels entitled that the team exists solely to help promote his own kid's career. 
And, you know, it's a real problem. And I want to talk about this today because I do have a sense that so many of the issues that eventually pop up as a kid gets to be in middle school or into high school, a lot of those issues have their direct roots when it comes to the way they were worked with when their their dad was coaching them in youth ball. And again, I understand that there are a lot of wonderful moms and dads who do volunteer as youth coaches and do a great job and keep their priorities in perspective and treat all the kids equally. But you and I know the reality is there's too many daddies out there who want to make sure that that team exists to make sure that their kid has the platform to become uh, the next star. Uh, You know, I do believe that daddy ball uh, awareness has been raised in recent years. There's still that lingering sense, though, that this kind of favoritism or, as I say, entitlement uh, still exists in our communities. And I'm going to get your thoughts about this this morning. one 337 6666 You know, um, I, I will even go on and say that it, it seems to me that many dads who start off in the world of daddy ball, are, again, are the ones who go on to become hyper-involved in their kids' sports uh, as the kid gets older. And the parents, the daddy, will press whatever they can to do, often in a very sly and subtle manner, to make sure their son or daughter gets every little edge they can. And um, again, this is a real concern. Let's let's talk about it. Let's start our conversation this morning with our friend Jack Smithlin over in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Jack, good morning. How are you today? How are you, Rick? Good. And, uh, God, I think this is the first time I've been on first. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> We, uh, you know, daddy ball is, you know, it's something that actually, you know, I've lived it. I was my son's, both my sons, my younger son didn't want me to coach him, but my older son, Zach, you know, he did. And, you know, I was one of the lucky ones when it comes to that entitlement issue because Zach was one of the better players on the field at all times. So, you know, parents sitting in the stands, Really didn't have any questions whether he should be playing, where he was playing. But I moved him around. He was a pitcher. He played a little outfield. He was a middle infielder as a kid. But um, and I also took him out of games. You know, I was uh, I was a high school coach basically at the same time that my sons started growing and I was coaching them. So I had a you know I had a philosophy: you play your nine best players, and you know. But at the little league level and the younger levels, you got to get everybody playing time, which we did. Right. But daddy ball is a is a title is you know is a title that people think of, and exactly the way you introduced it with entitlement that you that people favor their sons, and you know at the beginning. You know, parents, like you said, volunteer their time. And, you know, I I remember one quote I heard from a movie once, there's no bigger heart than the heart of a volunteer. (laughs) But what happens is, is that when the volunteer is now siding and playing their son, but here's something that I, I, I would like to, you know, give some advice to all the people out there. I've lived through the T-ball and the Little League and the middle school ball and high school ball and college ball. I'm now coaching at the college level. And even Zach played pro ball for eight years. And it doesn't leave because what happens is, is that daddy ball becomes booster ball when we get to high school. You know, and it's always the person who's given the most money to the booster club. Some, sometimes the coaches favor those kids. You know, and then when you get to college, it becomes scholarship ball. The kid who's on the biggest scholarship 
they feel they have to play because they're spending the most money on them. And then once again, when you get the pro ball, and my son, I've lived through this with my son at pro ball, where, you know, I felt and many people felt he was one of the best center fielders defensively. He could hit, he could run. And then what happened, he was playing minor league ball with the Cardinals, and a player came up that was a high-round draft pick, second or third round, million-dollar signing baby, and he took over in center field, and Zach had to fight his way back in. So it doesn't leave you. It stays with you. But the parenting part of it, you're absolutely right. You see so many people that their kids feel they're entitled at a younger age, and as they move up the ranks, they feel that entitlement. You know what? you got to face it. And here's something that one of my suggestions. When you're facing a daddy ball situation and you know that your chances are slim to none of your son or daughter playing shortstop because the coach's kid plays, find a new position. <laughs> find a new position. Because, because if you're that good, you're going to play, you know. And, but you might be growing up as a shortstop like Zach did. And then all of a sudden the scout comes along and says, oh, this kid has speed, throw him in the outfield, and now you got to go out and buy another $300 glove. But the point is, is that find another position. Be that type of player that can play anywhere. And, you know, I think this is a great topic because – and here's one other thing before I get off. What happens is, is that when parents get upset and their sons or daughters are not playing in any sport, soccer, volleyball, hockey – you know, and they say, you know what? We're getting out of here. We're starting a new team. Yep. A new daddy ball team starts. So it's like a cancer. It's just growing and growing and growing. So well, great Jack, topic today, Rick. Jack, thanks as always for your thoughts, uh, and I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. And, and uh, just to follow up on, on Jack's uh, numerous points he just made, yeah, that's what happens. A lot of the, the – the, and, again, I talk about it being sort of an insidious, subtle process – uh, the, the daddies who decide that this is going to be the youth leagues are going to be the the the, uh, the the platform to grow their kids' abilities. They're the ones who start the local travel team because now they can basically control as a kid gets into a later years elementary school, even middle school. Now that daddy can control the team, can decide who's you know obviously the team is going to be built around his his son or his daughter then they're going to make sure that the kids' uh, friends are on the team, and then they can have tryouts for all the other kids that fill in the rest of the roster. But again, it's all about you know the daddy who feels a sense of entitlement. Uh, and, of course, too many moms and dads uh, fall victim to the fact that they don't understand what's going on here. And all of a sudden they realize they've, they've paid uh, money for the tryout, they've paid money to be in the team, and next thing you know they see their son, their own son or daughter not getting much playing time uh, because it's all about winning and basically uh, highlighting uh, daddy ball's son or daughter on that team. It, it is, as I said, it's a very difficult situation to be involved in. Let's, um, let's move on to Pat over in Bergenfield. Good morning, Pat. You're next up on the fan. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. You know, it, it, it's interesting. When I, when I heard this topic, I, I had to dial in. Uh, I grew up experiencing in Little League the this, this same uh, situation. And uh, when it came time for me to coach my son, yeah. I was fortunate that I was able to get a Division One baseball player uh, to assist me. And the other guy who assisted me was, a, was an accountant. So he ran the books, and the other fellow did a lot of the coaching. Now, the, as the year ended, we would give out trophies for batting average and all of this. Now, I would have thought my son was somewhere 
maybe fourth, third or fourth. Turns out he had the highest batting average. And, and I guess the takeaway for me was, since in the back of my mind, and you never forget when that type of that daddy ball situation occurs, because of that, I, I just subconsciously didn't give him the, the, maybe the, the, the due that he was, uh, he was entitled to. The fact that you know, he had the best batting average, I, I wouldn't have guessed it in, in a million years. And now, as a grandparent, I watch my grandkids play mm -hmm. in, in certain sports, and absolutely, I see the same thing, and I have to sit there with my mouth shut because the last thing I want to do is, is, is to be asked to leave the, the field. Right. Yeah, Pat, it's, um, and you make a good point there and a good observation about your own son and now as a grandparent, but I, I think the one takeaway, and thank you for the call this morning, the, the one thing I really like about what you said is, and I think this may be a way to sort of um, put the brakes on daddy ball, and that is to have a high school or a college kid uh, be as either the head coach or uh, very much involved with the youth level teams because the, the, the kids, first of all, the younger kids are going to respond more to a high school varsity player or a college kid than they are to parents. Second of all, the high school or college player in that sport is going to be much more knowledgeable about teaching the sport and dealing with the, the frustrations that young kids go through. Uh, and the third thing is, you know, if they're a high school varsity player or a college player, Quite frankly, they're they're probably better qualified to, to work with the youngsters than a, a, a volunteer coach, and that sort of gets that sort of derails uh, situations where we have uh, you know problems with with um, you know uh, entitlement or parents who are trying to really propel their own kid onto the next level with daddy ball. I mean that's that's what we're talking about here. Let's move on quickly. Let's go to uh, to Brian over in Westfield. Hey Brian, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I think one of the challenges as coaches is I think you always have that, you know, daddy ball mentality in the back of your mind. And I think we as coaches uh, struggle. I coach uh, to, you know, female sports, and, and, and uh, I, I'm constantly trying to be aware of not playing my child too yep. much yep. Uh, in relation to the other players. And I think it's – I almost do my, my child a disservice because, you know, you know he, she may be a good player, but I'm constantly, you know, struggling with that daddy ball mentality. I just love to hear your thoughts on how to how to how to manage that. Well, I will tell you, when I was going through uh, uh, my years as a youth coach, uh, I used to keep a very detailed record every game uh, of uh, a list on on like a an effect a scorecard or a clipboard. Every kid uh, on the team, and let's say it was soccer. Uh, and we would play quarters in those days. Uh, I have every kid uh, listed on the roster on, on this clipboard, and we would keep track um, basically to make sure every kid played at least three quarters of each game, and they played different positions, whether they were playing you know, fullback or they were playing forward or a goalkeeper. I made sure they all rotated around, and I made sure that all of them sat out a quarter, and that particularly applied to my son or my daughters when they were playing because I didn't want any mom or dad ever to come to me and say, you know, you're, you're playing daddy ball here. Your kids are getting the, the lion's share of all the time. And, and that's, that's what I did to ensure because I could always show them the, the scorecard and say, here, here's how all my kids played and here's how much my kid played and this positions they played and this positions your kid played as well. And that tended to sort of uh, stop and silence any critics. All right, let me, let me take a time out. We're talking about daddy ball today and how to combat that and how to raise sensitivity about it. Let me uh, take a time out. Dave Hurham has your update this morning. When I return, I'll go right back to your calls. Stay with me. Radio
And welcome back to the Sports Edge. Uh, this is Rick Wolf. We're talking this morning about Daddy Ball. Daddy Ball's been around for a number of years now, and it's, as we say, it's kind of a label that's applied to, to dads primarily, but I'm sure there are moms who volunteer as coaches as well, who basically are seeing, even at the, at the youngest ages, when kids get involved in youth sports, uh, that uh, they see the, the, the team they're coaching as really just sort of a vehicle, a platform, if you will, for their own youngster to progress to a higher level. And as a consequence, we see, we hear things about entitlement. Uh, we, we, we're basically the coaches saying, yeah, 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 I'll play all the kids and everything and so on and so forth. But, you know, uh, at crunch time, I want my kid to be uh, getting the most uh, playing time or I want my kid to be the team captain or my kid gets the, uh, the choice of the uniform that he or she wants to wear and so on and so forth. This all begins to creep in at an early age. And unfortunately, it continues on into travel teams and even has uh, some extensions into into high school as well, where by that point the, 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 the daddy ball personality has sort of tried to ingratiate him or herself to the, the varsity coaching staff to make sure their kid is recognized as one of the rising stars. It can be really quite annoying and jarring and disruptive. And we're taking your calls about this because something has to be done to sort of educate all parents as to how wrong and how insidious this is. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six is our number. Let's uh, let's go to our friend Ed over uh, Ed Ward over in Elizabeth. Ed, good morning. I know you're involved in this uh, in terms of uh, you know coaching and, and working with uh, kids in high school and college. Ed, what do you make of all this? Well, again, it seems like more and more there's travel teams coming about, and again, as you use the term "daddy ball" and all that. Yep. You know, the question is, are they coaching because they want to coach and they know the game? Or, again, as we said, uh, uh, they're just doing it to, to uh, play their kid, bat them, bat them in the top of the lineup or whatever sport there is. I like to share a situation where my brother was a, a, a CYO basketball coach. He coached my nephew. They had a good team. They were very good. But uh, my nephew was always – he was one of the better players also, but he was always the first substitute to always come out of a game. Unless, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. unless someone got in foul trouble or whatever. If the game was in a blowout situation early in the first half, the kids that are usually like the bottom-tier players, he'd get them in as part of the first half also. And he would do that at, at the end of the game also in a, in a situation. So they, they all felt part of the game. But then again, naturally, if it was a little closer or whatever, then, then the roles change or whatever. But he always used to still, uh, you know, substitute for my nephew right away and all that stuff. I guess, you know, to make sure everyone does, didn't think that he was the father coaching um, sure. coaching their own, or their own kids and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, you know, and it, you know, it, it is a tough situation. You, you're Basically, at those levels, you're, uh, in a lot of situations, you're looking to coach to make the players better because you enjoy it and all that. But sometimes parents don't get it, you know, and uh, you know, right away after a game, they they want to, uh, you know, talk to the coach, this and that, you know, you know, I, you, we, and you as a coach know this. We'd always want to, you know, quiet time for twenty four hours if you want to talk to me or whatever on that, you know, because well, you know it could be a tedious situation, you know, depending on what, what happened in the game. 
Ed, I, I hear you loud and clear, and, uh, and and thank you for bringing up that situation about, you know, um, your your nephew being uh, be the first one to be taken out of the game. Uh, Ed, thank you for the call this morning, because that, that reminds me of a story I've told on the air a few times in the past, and that has to do, again, with the coach. You know, if you're the head coach of a youth-level team, you have to be sensitive to the the feelings of the other parents in the stands or sidelines watching the game because they come to watch the games to watch their own son or daughter perform. Not necessarily they don't care about the team winning or losing, and they sure as heck don't care about watching your own son or daughter getting uh, a lot of playing time and being the star of the game. I can recall very vividly uh, when my own son was, um, I guess, uh, probably in fifth grade. And by fifth grade, you know, it was clear some kids have, have or some kids were athletes, some were not so athletically inclined to that age uh, or haven't developed yet. But I remember very distinctly I was coaching a youth level uh, baseball, and it was opening day, and and my son was a pretty good ball player, and uh, everybody knew that uh, I was the coach of the team, and we had like what 14, 15 kids on the roster, uh, and you know nine played. And it was opening day, a lot of fanfare, you know, a parade in town, that kind of stuff. And sure enough, I went to my son, John, and I said, look, uh, I, I, I know you're eager to play and go out there and start and so on and so forth. But I got to tell you, somebody has to sit out the first half of the game, and uh, you're going to be one of those five kids who are going to sit out. And he was, you know, obviously heartbroken and disappointed because, Dad, I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a good ball player. I want to play. I want to start. And I said, John, you will get plenty of playing time this year. Don't worry about that. But right now, uh, you're going to sit in the bench to start the game, and I bring you in, you know, in the, in the fourth inning. And, you know, the games were six innings long, um, and it sent more than a message to the other parents who are watching everything, thinking, well, this guy Wolf, I guess he's not going to be a daddy ball guy because he's not even starting his own kid. And that's exactly the kind of message I was trying to send because I didn't want them to think I was going to be, you know, have a sense of entitlement or take advantage of being the, the head coach and so on and so forth. And again, that's why I say if you're a youth level coach, you have to be totally aware of all this and really bend over backwards uh, to do the right thing, to make sure all the other parents realize you're not playing favorites, that you don't have a sense of entitlement. Uh, and that's how you, you try to nip this in the bud uh, right from the get-go. Uh, and again, as the season went on, we were fine. My son got plenty of playing time, just like all the other kids on his, uh, on his baseball team. Let's continue. Let's go to... Uh, Let's go to Ralph over in uh, Cliffside Park. Hey, good morning, Ralph. You're next up on the fan. Hey, Rick. Been dying to talk to you. I've been coaching over 45 years. I had the spectrum starting in the 70s, and I, oh, I okay. have I have plenty of stories that are are pretty uh, heart wrenching. Uh, the one time I was coaching just a, a rec team, seventh grade team, we were undefeated, winning games by a lot. Yep. There were no two lines back then, so I played everybody. Had an autistic kid on the team. And we were going to the championship. One of the parents who was donated one of the big pockets to the group said, if you play that kid anymore, we're pulling the money, and this is how it's going to be. Oh. So this is recreation now, not travel. I said, well, if you're worried about it, you know, do CYL, do AAU. This is back in late 70s. Yep. So the, he was loved. I played him anyway, so I said to her, you could take your son, and you could see the joy we have. We're winning by 20 points. What are you worried about? He's in there. People are clapping. And it was, the, I think it kept me from working with kids who don't have a lot. I worked with kids and single parents, handicapped kids. I was like, what are you talking about? This is back in the 70s. 
And then in 2000, with my daughter and her friends, they were all AAU travel girl soccer teams. Unbelievable. They saw the stress coming. They were like, so all of a sudden, coaches changed. I got divorced. And the whole starting team quit soccer to run cross country because there was no, well, ball thing. You ran on your own. It's me against the run. Mm-hmm. A lot of them didn't want the team competition. Dad, I've had it. You're getting a scholarship, Division Two. I've had it. I can't take the pressure. I'm getting anxiety. I'm like, wow, the parents are killing these girls and because of the Section 9 or whatever it was where the girls got more scholarships than the boys. Yeah, Title Nine. Right. I was like, the stress on the girls. I see girls across in Long Beach, one of the greatest rec towns in Long Island. These girls are, are, are playing four times. And the, the girls lacrosse is a moneymaker. It's unbelievable. You could be All-American in baseball and softball in California. You ain't getting anything. You could be a second string on girls lacrosse. But Ralph, you're going I, to I, Delaware. Let me stop you there because I think you just said, basically you've shown how the how all this has sort of has right. evolved over the years. And, and that's exactly, exactly what we're getting at. And, Ralph, thank, thank you. Thank you for your call this morning. Uh, and as Ralph just outlined, you know, back in the day, you know, people who had deep pockets could say, I can dictate how this is going to work and I don't want this kid playing and so on and so forth. And for- fortunately, we have evolved to a much more enlightened state since then. And the other point he makes, which is a valid one, too, that we always talk about, moms and dads, you have to be aware when your kid is now a teenager and they're feeling the heat, they're feeling the pressure to keep on winning and get better and compete and win more honors and so on and so forth, this is why we talk about burnout. Burnout tends to be something that the kids who have real talent, uh, you know, are the ones who suffer from burnout, not the ones who just sort of say, I am just have a, a middling interest in the sport. No, the kids who are really on the fast track, they get to be 13 or 14. They say, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too much pressure. I don't want to deal with this. And they walk away. And unfortunately, once they do walk away, they really don't come back to the sport. And that is a real issue. Let's move quickly over to, uh, to Artie in Brooklyn this morning. Artie, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick. Hey, Rick. Thanks yes, for taking the call. Yes, sir. Um, my, my son now is now 17. But at the time, like at nine, he, was, he wanted to be a soccer player, a professional soccer player. Yeah. So I put him, I found a rec team at my church and they had tryouts. So my 40 kids showed up and I'm like, George, let's go. He goes, what do you mean? I said, George, there's tryouts here and stuff like that. He was not developed. Like he wasn't as athletic as those other kids, none of them. So they talked to me and they said, listen, we don't have a coach. If you want a coach, you could put George on the team. I said, I don't think that's fair. And he goes, listen, you donated your time. You could put George on the team. It's okay. So I did. I coached. He played three minutes. The whole year, he, he touched the ball once, and then he came to me and goes, uh, Dad, I don't think I want to be a professional soccer player anymore because he realized he just wasn't as good. But that was the best three minutes of his life. Now, the, the people that volunteer, I think they put more pressure on their kid. They, the, the coaches who coach like you, Rick, who said, all right, I know that you know I'm going to play, I'm going to sit on my son first and stuff like that. Most of the coaches don't do that. Do Most of the that? coaches coach because they want their, their son – to get the best and be play shortstop and, and bat third. And then it puts, look, they do it because of the benefit of the son, but they're actually the parents and the, and the other teammates, they, no matter how good he is, they're going to say it's because your dad is the coach and that's they right. put so much pressure on him. So I think that's something that they definitely have to think about. All right. Thanks for taking the call. Rick. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks Artie. And, and I agree with you a hundred percent that, that this is, yeah, there, it's, it is a, a 
there are concerns that sort of the, the ramifications, if, if uh, you're the coach at the youth level, the other side of the coin is that your son or daughter are going to feel like, well, you know, you're getting all the playing time because you are the coach's kid. That's not a good situation either. And as I said before, you have to be so sensitive to, to what you're what you're doing, how you do it. Uh, I always tell youth coaches, particularly at the, uh, the, the elementary level, you, your major job is to basically have a smile on your face, to make sure that your youngster uh, is treated equally like every other kid in the team, uh, and you offer, you offer total positive encouragement. You're trying to teach the kids how to enjoy the sport, how to master some skills, whatever sport it may be. But again, and this is where I think uh, this is where the real sort of issues begins to crop up. If you are really focused on which, if your team is going to win the third grade league championship, if that's the main reason you're coaching uh, at the youth level, then you, you, you don't have the right balance. You, you've lost your perspective. Your, your priorities are out of whack. You've got to understand that at the young levels, it's not so much about whether or not you win or you lose, but all the kids enjoy playing the sport. Again, we're talking about kids who are 6, 8, 10 years old. They are a long ways away from going through adolescence and developing their full, real skills in that sport. The biggest criteria, to my way of thinking, at the youth level is if the kids had a good time playing for you that year and they want to come back the following year and want to continue playing. That, to me, is the litmus test as to whether or not you're a good coach at the youth level. Uh, and again, if you migrate or so-called advance into travel teams, I mean, that's a concern as well because the travel team for, for most of these you know, coaches today, the, the daddy ballers, again, that gives them the opportunity – to say, okay, now I can you know, advance my kid to a higher level, better competition, and I can surround him or her with other kids who are pretty good talent as well, but I can also charge for tryouts. I can select who I want on the team. Um, I can make some money off this by basically, because it's all unregulated, and we've talked many times about this is exactly the kind of situation where there should be somebody to be a, a, you know, a commissioner of youth sports to oversee all these travel teams. But the fact is, uh, you know, how many times have I heard from parents that my kid made the local travel team, which is run by a very nice dad, but my kid doesn't get much playing time, and yet I'm still have to go take my kid all around the uh, uh, the area to uh, away tournaments and, and, and pay for all this, and the kid doesn't play much. I mean, it's just, that's heartbreaking as well. And again, there's nothing you can really do about it to straighten this out. All right, let me, let me take a pause again. Uh, before we go to the break and when I come back on the other side, we'll take your calls again about daddy ball and why I feel that daddy ball is the source of all concerns when it comes to, uh, to problems these days in sports parenting. We're taking your calls, of course, at one 337 6666 But don't forget, you can get to Barclays Center on Friday, March 6th, when the Brooklyn Nets take on the San Antonio Spurs. The first 10,000 in attendance, first 10,000 will receive a Dr. J Black Panther bobblehead as part of Marvel Superhero Night. You can purchase tickets at brooklynnets.com slash tickets. Stay right here for more of Rick Wolf and the Sports Edge on The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN New York. Dot com. 
Hey, don't forget, at 9 o'clock this morning, just a few minutes from now, Ed Randall will be here. And, of course, Ed will be talking baseball with you. And, of course, he always has a great lineup of guests and, and interviews. Again, Ed Randall at 9 o'clock this morning talking baseball. And uh, don't forget to check out my website, my blog at askcoachwolf.com. And uh, to get a copy, if you want, so if you're a youngster, about the mental aspects of playing sports and how to prepare for games and practices, pick up a copy of Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. You can go to Amazon and get it either in print form as an ebook, or you can get it as an audiobook as well. Again, Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed, because I say all the time, all our kids spend a lot of uh, effort putting into uh, time and energy about their physical aspects of playing sports, but they don't really spend much time on the mental preparation. So check it out. We're talking this morning, uh, we have an open forum about daddy ball, and to remind all sports parents and coaches that you got to do the right thing when it comes not just to your own kids, but for all the kids who play on your team when it comes to youth, uh, youth level sports. And we're taking calls at one 337 6666 as I do think a lot of the, the concerns uh, and problems we have with uh, you know, sports at the high school level, you can probably find a lot of those roots going all the way back to, to daddy ball when the kids are first starting out. Let's go to uh, Coach Tom over in North Arlington. Hey, Tom, how are you this morning? Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good. I haven't talked to you in a while. Things are good? Yeah, things are good. I keep my voice off while other people talk. I don't want to try and dominate. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, I would say, you know, uh, you know, looking at it again from a younger standpoint, you know, yeah. at the uh, maybe the uh, you know, local youth levels, um, I, if someone goes out and becomes a manager for the express purpose of giving an advantage to their kid. There's really not a heck of a lot you can do about that, you know, other than at the you know league level, maybe somebody else intervening. I don't see that as the major problem. I see it as the people who go out and truly want to be volunteers and they end up doing what you just said, mm-hmm. whether, you know, whether it's, you know, unintentional or the fact that, well, you know, this is my kid. I'm, I'm coaching him, uh, but you know what? You're around him more than any other parents are around their kids. Or the other side, which I found out to be just as big a problem, it was something you said. You, you purposely sat your kid to, to, to show everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, so, you know what? You know, a lot of people do that, too, and that's unfair in the other way, not the way you ended up doing it, but they yell at their kid more and, and things like that. And to me... I had a friend once that had a similar problem, and I would say what you had said before about the uh, getting a high school kids involved, that's probably one of the best things you can do. And as far as it, it would be great if nobody was coaching their own kid, that's not going to happen because of the uh, lack of volunteers. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a coach and you honestly do not want to run into that problem, I would say make sure you have a really, really good uh, assistant coach. Yeah. You know, I'm saying preferably someone who's not a parent, but sometimes you can't. And, and I've seen this work. You, you don't, like if I had a son and was like, I would say, okay, I don't talk to my kid, period. Yeah. Okay. If there's a correction that's got to be made or something, I tell the assistant coach, tell him this. You know, tell him, you know, and I, and obviously when you get home, there's going to be a lot of talk anyway. But just for the that appearance, and it gives you a chance yourself as a coach to sit back and listen to somebody else scold or instruct your son. And that that's almost like being without yourself. And, and I think that's a really, really good opportunity. Tom, these are all excellent points. And I, I hope uh, the people who are tuning in this morning are listening to this because it is – 
it is important, as you say, first of all, uh, getting an assistant coach uh, who actually knows the sport and knows how to work with kids. And to your point, uh, you know, then if you're the head coach and you feel awkward about basically, you know, trying to instruct your kid or discipline your child, let the assistant coach do that. It helps in the transition, teaching the youngster to work with other uh, grown-ups, other authoritarian or authority figures. It, it's important that kids learn how to respond to other people beyond their parents. The other thing you mentioned, uh, and I've heard this many times, a lot of coaches, the volunteer coaches, will basically say, okay, everybody on the team, you know, we're going to run, um, you know, five sprints. But then he turns to his son and say, you're going to run eight. Just because he wants his kid to get extra practice or more reps or whatever it might be, as though somehow the kid is entitled to more coaching from, yes. from the team. That's not good either. No. When I, no. You know, you got to treat the kids equally. Everybody does the same amount of work, the same amount of reps, everything. Yeah, well, I, and proving that you're not partial to your kid by yelling at him more or anything else. Yeah. Number one, it's unfair to your son. Number two, all you're doing is drawing more attention to that effect. Other people, are, look, you know, he only coaches his own kid, or you know, or, or, or whatever. And like you said, it's it's you need to you can't you want to treat everybody equally. That's that's like impossible. Okay, we both know that you try, but certain people can take certain things, other people can't. Being your relative or one should not be one of the things you have to think about as a coach, yeah. while the, especially while the game is going. That's why I think a really assistant coach, good assistant coach, is important. Thanks, Rick. Take care. Thanks, Tom. And, and one other thing I'll throw into the mix as well from Tom's good call, and that is if you're the head coach, and, of course, you got a lot of things going on during the course of a practice or, or a game. I mentioned before I keep on a scorecard about who gets and when and, and how long they play and, so, and what positions they play. Lean on your assistant coach and say, look, if, I, if, you, if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing or I'm, I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying, please, as the assistant coach, you know, step up, have the courage to tell me and say, Rick, you shouldn't be doing that or you back off a bit or you're getting too excited. Again, that's... That's what we're trying to do, the, the appearance to all the parents, all the grandparents who go to the games, and to the kids, let's make sure we keep this on an on a, on a upbeat level. Everybody goes away happy. Be nice to win. Sometimes we lose. And by the way, I would just say this as well. I'm not ever advocating that we shouldn't keep score. Yeah, you can keep score at your kids' games because the kids want to know who's winning, who's losing. That's fine. Just don't get become so preoccupied with the, 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 the final score or who wins the, uh, the title or the championship. It's not that important when the kids are in second or third or fifth grade. It's not that big a deal. Understand that. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Jackie Owen Hewitt at Long Island. Jackie, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning. Uh, first time, long time. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Um, I wanted to make a couple of points. Uh, I believe that I have a different perspective because uh, we have a daughter. My husband and I uh, grew up in a time when girls really didn't get much of a chance to go through the, the Little League system. And we had a daughter who, of course, when she was very young, we realized that she had a lot of athletic ability. And we also, everybody's human and thinks that their kid is the best athlete that they've ever seen. And it's hard to resist that. But we, uh, we entered her into the Little League system, and I wanted her to experience Little League, even though she's a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't have Title IX, and I'm also guilty of wanting, you know, her to, I wanted to live through her. I wanted her to be able to go through the Little League system, explore how good she could be. 
But on the other hand, we never had the dream that she was going to be a professional ball player. So I think that a lot of the parents in Daddy Ball, which I call Mommy Ball, because mm-hmm. um, as much as my focus was different, I believe, than a lot of the parents, um, we never had the dream that she was going to be a professional ball player. I mean, I always wanted her to, you know, try out for the boys' baseball team in middle school or high school, but she feels the pressure. I mean, the, the girl thing and being held back a little bit because she's a girl, uh, you know, we felt that too. But I believe that the, the focus should be on competitiveness too because everybody wants to win. Mm-hmm. And we were very lucky that she had athletic ability. And I, I don't have a son, so I never was able to say to her that you play like a boy or you <laughs> have to be better like a boy. Yep. And we picked our coaches not to teach her how to be a greater ball player because she was getting that. She was obviously good. She she was a good runner. She had the skills. She could hit. She, you know, she just wanted to play. And we met up with a lot of resistance in the Little League level, and we had to really, really lean on the coaches. And I'm not shy, and my husband is uh, very easygoing, so... We actually had, a, you know, a good mix where we mixed with the coaches and tried to become friends with the, the parents. And I guess I kind of became like a soccer mom for Little League. And I told my daughter that if she, all she had to do was want to play, if she was having a good time, we had three rules. You have to want to play. I have to be able to afford it. And Little League was very affordable in our town. We had a great Little League commissioner who was very egalitarian Never made her feel like she was weird for being a girl. There were some girls in the Little League. She played, and she was fabulous. But there was never any, you know, we have to get her to the next level. And, uh, you know, we had people trying to push her out because she was very good, and she got a lot of play time. But she also didn't get the prime positions in Little League. They put her in right field and left field, a lot of the coaches, because I felt that, they wanted the boys to get the shortstop and the pitching positions. <laughs> and when she tried to pitch, she actually pitched very well. But oddly enough, she didn't like pitching. Well, she Jackie, didn't like let me, p- let me she, stop you there because I'm up against the, the clock here. But sure. you, you bring back lots of memories uh, for my, my youngest daughter, who also was a terrific uh, athlete uh, and played Little League Baseball up until the time she was 12. And uh, because, uh, but, you know, again, it sounds like your daughter was older than my daughter, but I can tell you that, and Jackie, thank you for your, your call this morning. I can tell you that I was very sensitive and I was not coaching uh, Samantha when she was coming up through a uh, youth level baseball, but certainly it was evident that she was uh, as good and in many cases, sometimes better than the boys she competed against. I recall when she occasionally would pitch, then she would strike out boys. I sort of felt sorry for the boys because, you know, geez, this, this girl just struck me out and maybe I'm an old fashioned kind of guy, but it had to be a bit of a, but a bit of a sting to the boys who had to go through that. But I can assure you that uh, Title IX, of course, passed 40 years ago, was a great, great move forward when it comes to, to girls in sports. And I, 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 I heard Jackie loud and clear that you, you had to sort of want your, your, your coaches to be sensitive to the 
the, the desires uh, and the and the dreams of the girls. And fortunately, these days, there's so many opportunities for girls to go on to play in college. And in some sports, they can go on to play professionally or go to the Olympics. It's a big deal. And, and again, uh, if I ever saw any situation where I thought that uh, Samantha was being somehow um, uh, penalized for being a girl or not getting enough playing time, again, we're talking here about baseball, uh, predominantly you know male sport, I would have stepped up and said something right away. But fortunately, I never saw that. And by the time she played a variety of sports, by the time she got to be in middle school, she decided, okay, I'm going to put baseball aside. I'm going to keep playing soccer. I want to play lacrosse. I want to play basketball. And she eventually ended up being a terrific uh, lacrosse player. But again, all during those developmental years, I was trying, as a, just a sports parent, trying to be very cautious and sensitive as to what was going on because I didn't want her to feel like she was being left out or getting shortchanged because she was a girl or because of the fact that some coaches felt that, nah, she's not going anywhere as a girl in baseball. We'll just let her sit on the bench. And that did not happen. And that's, that's good news. So it's not all bad news when it comes to daddy ball. But again, you really have to be sensitive to make sure that you're doing things the right way if you're coaching get a really good assistant coach consider getting a high school kid or a college kid to help out with the team and that'll keep you on the straight and narrow and that's that to me is the key in all this okay that's going to do it for me in this edition of the sports edge my thanks this morning to pete kennedy please stick around for ed randall he's in the on deck circle i'll see you next sunday right here on the sports edge Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.